El Fanboy, Episode 3. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to episode 3 of El Fanboy, the official movie and TV podcast of, well me, goddammit, El Fanboy. Uh, how you doing guys? You're listening to Mario Francisco Robles, and I am here continuing this lovely little solo act that I've begun, thanks to all you guys and your support out there. Got a lot to cover today, uh, lots of big stories for me to touch on Lots of things for me to respond to. I mean, there were the Oscars on Sunday, and there's just been, you know, there's a lot to talk about today. And I don't want this week's episode to be like last week's. Kind of felt like last week's sort of was a little long in the tooth and not all that entertaining. I re-listened to it the other day, and goddamn, you guys are are good for putting up with me because I was a little repetitive. I was a little just sort of meandering in last week's show. I think I was still a little sick. And I just wasn't really on my A-game. So we're going to bounce back this week with a hyper-motivated, hyper-caffeinated show. Because right now, my wife's failure is your victory. What do I mean by that? My wife did not take her coffee this morning. So I woke up to a pot of double the amount of coffee I would typically ingest. And we ain't talking like fucking Folgers or chock full of nuts or anything like that. We're talking like cafe pilong espresso coffee. And I'm on my second cup of it. And man, is my heart rate jacked right now. So uh, <laughs> we're going to, I'm going to just give you a kind of a brief personal update. And then we're going to dive into all of the uh, big entertainment stories out there. Um, on Sunday, the show I was working on as an actor and a singer uh, and dancer uh, wrapped. And that was a, uh, that was a thrill. You know, I, I don't really tend to act very often these days. Uh, the acting career took a big sideline to my parenting life as soon as my kids arrived, which is going to be almost six years ago. I can't believe my daughter's almost six. Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, so like six years ago, once my daughter arrived, uh, I just kind of said, well, you know, the acting stuff, nowhere near as important as being able to stay at home and raise my kids. Because uh, that's what I do, really. You know, I'm kind of I'm a, I'm a stay at home dad during the week. Because uh, my wife's a school teacher, and my job, my day job, quote unquote, only keeps me out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So she and I have like this ideal flow going, where I get to be home with the kids during the week, and while she's working, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I check out. I go and I work my weddings and my sweet sixteens and my corporate events and my bar mitzvahs, mazel tov, and um, she hangs out with the kids all weekend. And then, you know, and obviously that frees me up at night, too, for me to go catch screenings on weeknights and go do, you know, uh, film-related things. So, you know, my schedule really is pretty ideal, but it doesn't really leave a lot of uh, room for acting projects. And what made this one on Sunday so special for me was the fact that my daughter uh, made her theatrical stage debut in this show alongside me. Uh, So that was a thrill. You know, she came out on stage, she sang a little song, and, you know, it was just unbelievable to me to see that happen because there's a whole legacy 
of of performers in my family. You know, we and I, I've gone into this before. And I'm not gonna beat. You know, I'm not gonna uh, remind you all. But you know, I, I grew up surrounded by this stuff, and you know, in turn, now my daughter has as well. And now she's basically she's taking the baton. And this weekend, she was on stage singing in front of a packed theater. And she was like a goddamn pro. This five-year-old went out there in front of a pack theater and sang a song each night for this for this uh, five-performance run we just had. So I just, you know, that, that was unbelievable for me to see that. Um, and in terms of just the, the acting career, since I've mentioned it before, and I, I have said that this year I want to, uh, you know, try to get back into all that and build up the old IMDb credits and maybe try to make a name for myself. You know, it's kind of funny having an aunt like Elizabeth Pena, because growing up, I swear to God, it was like, it was almost like a blessing and a curse, because it was a blessing because she was doing so well, and she was an inspiration for, for myself and for the family, but it was also a curse because it was so goddamn intimidating, because I would always hear these incredible stories of, of what it took for her to make it in Hollywood, and... I'm like, wow, I have to do all that to make it? And it was scary because she basically lived and breathed this stuff. When, you know, when she was in, you know, from the time she was in her mid-teens through mid-20s, she was basically going to like three or four auditions a day. She was taking odd jobs to support herself and would loot, and then would like quit those jobs at the drop of a dime if they ever conflicted with her going to an audition. I mean, there, there's a famous story that we've circulated in our family here where she once auditioned for something and she was in her late teens and she had braces on because she needed fucking braces. And the casting director said, we can't cast you. You know, we can't even consider you because you have the braces. I'm sorry. She went in a cab straight to the dentist and said, you have to take these things off. And the dentist was like, well, no, you still have like another year and a half. You're supposed to be wearing these. And she said, no, these need to come off right now. So either, you know, that that's what's going to happen next. And uh, she's like, you know, you decide how this is going to go, but you can either remove them or I'm going to grab some pliers and take them off myself. And the dentist then took them off and then she went back and she got the part. Uh, and that's how my aunt was. She literally, like, it, all she cared about was making it. And while that was very inspiring to hear growing up and, you know, and fucking being in a sort of household where, like, my aunt you know, we had like big movie premieres going on and my mother and my grandmother were like, would leave me with a babysitter so they can go attend Yanya's new uh, red carpet premiere downtown and take pictures with celebrities. You know, it's impresionante. It leaves a, it leaves a, an imprint on you. And for me, the imprint was, you know, it was simultaneously inspiring and intimidating. And a sort of a part of me kind of, that kind of made me recoil a little bit, kind of like, I just, I don't think I have that much of a drive to do it, so maybe it's not even worth it to pursue it. So really, when I act, it tends to just be because an opportunity just sort of fell on my lap. You know, a director, a producer, someone who has seen me elsewhere or who knows me said, hey, Mario, I think you'd be perfect for this. Can you come read for it? Then I'll show up and do it, and then I get the part, and then I do it. Uh, I've never actually had that period in my life where I really tried to make an acting career happen for myself. And I guess I just need to give that a shot. I need to get out of my own way and I need to go for it. And all the feedback I got for this show that I just did kind of gives me a little more, you know, uh, motivation to do that. 
So I'll let you know, everyone, how uh, how that goes with me kind of dipping my foot back into that world. I've also got a bunch of screenplays I'd like to write. I have so much I want to do, and it's it's kind of, it's kind of the um, it's it's the double edged sword to being your own boss, everybody. Because I know on on the first episode of this, I mentioned to you that I'm like a self made man. Uh, and while that's very fun, and while it's cool to live your life by your own terms and not have to answer to anybody, when you don't have to answer to anybody, it makes it very easy to be lazy because there's no deadlines. There's no boss looming over your shoulder going, hey, when is there, when are you going to do this? I don't have a boss. So it, I could say, all right, on Monday, I'm going to write my screenplay and I'm going to try to get to an audition and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But then Monday morning may arrive and I may go, you know what? I feel like playing Call of Duty today. And then I'll play Call of Duty for five hours. You know, like I, it, it, there's no one to answer to. And that is, uh, that's something that I need to try to just get behind that. I, I need to get past that rather. I need to like be, I need to be my own boss in terms of even being strict on myself to get out there and take care of shit because I'm 33 and I ain't getting any younger. So 2017 is the year. And that is my update in terms of all that. I have to get out of my own way. I need to be harder on myself. And I need to just go, go, go. Palante, right, Tabo? All right. So let's go ahead and dive into what is going on out there. Um, so, yeah, the Oscars were on Sunday. And it's funny, I've said this before, but I'm like, I'm not a big Oscar guy. Which is funny to people because I'm so into movies. So a lot of my friends and acquaintances, they always like, oh, are you excited for the Oscars? I'm like, nope, I'm not even going to watch them probably. Because um, for me, it just, you know, I, I don't know who the show is for. You know, I've said this before, but just to reiterate, I feel like it tends, you know, it, it's very political in nature in terms of, you know, there, there's all these campaigns for the movies that, that are nominated. You have actors campaigning for to win awards. And it, it just seems to be like whichever movie kisses enough ass and seems to make enough of a quote-unquote statement, that's the movie that gets acknowledged. And usually it's not even movies that most moviegoers even go see. A lot of these movies like made like 10 bucks at the box office. And now we're being told these are the movies that we have to pay attention to. So I just tend to have a hard time getting too excited about the Oscars. Uh, and on top of that, like I've always noticed that I'm always like, I, I just seem to be off in terms of whether or not uh, the show was good. Like whenever I enjoyed an Oscar telecast, I go on, on, on the internet that night or the next day and I hear how terrible it was and the host that I liked will never do this again. I'm like, really? That was actually pretty good. Then the ones that I think are boring and stupid, everyone's going, wow, what a great Oscars that was last night. So I just tend to be off. I just tend to like not, I, I tend to just not be uh, who they're going for. The people who like these shows and me, we don't really tend to gel all that well. Uh, that All that said, funny, I say all that shit, and I actually did end up seeing the Oscars on Sunday, pretty much by accident. You know, I, I it started at 8.30, and my wife and my, and I, you know, our plan was, all right, we'll watch the first half hour, then at 9 o'clock we'll switch over to The Walking Dead, and that'll be the end of it. And as it turned out, you know, we watched that first half hour, and we did watch The Walking Dead, but then we came back to the Oscars, which I had recording on the DVR, uh, based on the fact that we really enjoyed that first half hour. 
Um, so I actually, for the first time in years, probably watched an Academy Award telecast from start to finish. Um, and the funny thing is, I was about to say what a good show it was, but I realized since I watched it by fast forwarding through all the things I didn't care about, I don't know if it was a good show or not. Like if I watched it actually, you know, every segment in real time, I don't know how I'd feel about it. But in terms of like just the way I did it, fast forwarding to only the awards I cared about and also only stopping when there were presenters uh, that I'm interested in and stopping when Jimmy Kimmel was on, uh, who knows? I don't know what I would have thought, but based on how I did watch it, basically skimming through, I thought it was pretty good. I like Kimmel. I thought he was very funny. I thought a lot of the acceptance speeches, you know, from from some of the bigger categories, were very good and very strong and very notable. Um, but man, that thing at the end was awkward. Jesus Christ, that trumps Miss Universe. That trumps the uh, Steve Harvey situation, because at least in that one, like it was resolved very quickly. You know, they announced her. They put the crown on the lady and the sash, but right away they came over and said, no, sorry, it's, it's the other one. This time you had like three different people from the La La Land production company come and like do their thank yous, their big emotional thank yous to their families and the, and the, and the distributors and everyone who's believed in them. And they went into all this shit and then they had to hand the trophies over. That was hard to watch, man. Um, and by the way, one, one last thing since we're in, since Moonlight did win and it just reminded me of what, something I wanted to mention. One of the other reasons I don't care for the Oscars is cause like, it's all, you know, it's all scripted. It's all just sort of phony. And like, and, and this is not to diminish Moonlight. This is not to diminish what Viola Davis did in Fences or what Mahershala Ali did. Um, but I could have told you that a bunch of African-American performers and projects were going to get a lot of awards at this year's telecast. I could have told you that just based on the fact that last year was the whole Oscar so white uh, controversy. I knew that the Academy was now going to swing and try to make up for that by this year, giving a bunch of the top honors to African-Americans. And, you know, and this is not to diminish their work in any way, shape or form, but, you know, I could have told you that and hearing that I'm like, yeah, of course, of course, that's what happened this year. Uh, that said, I need to see these movies and I can judge them for myself. I haven't had a chance to see a lot of these Academy Award movies. Um, I just haven't. I, uh, you know, when you have two kids at home and, you know, you have a, a wife that you love and then you and you know you have to spend all weekend away from them working events, you know, you don't really get out that often to go to the movies, to go just watch, you know, any old thing. And since I was working for a site that really catered to like fanboy movies and comic book movies and video game movies and genre films, you know, uh, I never really had the time to go out and see Moonlight or La La Land or Lion or any of these more serious films. Cause it's just hard to get out of the house, man. Um, so I need to go see these and judge them, you know, specifically for how good or how bad they were. But, uh, that said, I could have told you that there was going to be a nice, strong African-American presence in the winners this year, just even as a reaction to last year's whole controversy. 
because you know Hollywood likes to make nice and they like to be all friendly and inclusive and good for them. But you know, I, I saw all that coming. Um, now back to the controversy. I don't know if you guys know about this, but the Academy Award is launching. You know, the uh, the 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 people who run it, the Academy of Arts and Sciences, all that sort of crap. They released a statement about the big controversy. And they said, We sincerely apologize to Moonlight, La La Land, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, and Oscar viewers for the error that was made during the award announcement for Best Picture. The presenters had mistakenly been given the wrong category envelope and when discovered was immediately corrected. We are currently investigating how this could have happened and deeply regret that this occurred. We appreciate the grace with which the nominees, the Academy, ABC, and Jimmy Kimmel handled the situation. So, you know, they're on the, uh, they're on the case, but man, that was fucking embarrassing as shit. Um, and the last thing I'll touch on with the Oscars is, you know, I'm still just sort of perplexed as to how to feel about the Casey Affleck situation. Uh, I need to see Manchester by the Sea, A, because I heard it's just amazing, but B, you know, the the situation is just weird to me that, you know, he's got all this controversy on him right now because he's, you know, supposedly harassed and assaulted and abused a couple of women that he's worked with. But somehow he's still able to win an Oscar and be beloved and standing ovations and all this sort of stuff. Um you know, and meanwhile, you know, remember what happened to that guy? Uh, what was his name? Nate Parker. Uh, was that his name? I'm going to look this up as I speak because I don't want to slow things down. I don't want to pause. So, you know, you had the whole, yeah, you had the whole situation with Nate Parker and his movie, The Birth of a Nation, where a lot of people thought it was a great movie and he was going to do so well. And then you found out that he was once accused of raping someone, charges that he was actually acquitted for because there was not enough evidence and a jury of his peers determined that they couldn't find him guilty of this crime. Uh, but he got totally snuffed and thrown out of everything, you know, snubbed and thrown out of everything. But then you got Casey Affleck, who wasn't acquitted. He just settled out of court and threw a bunch of money at the problem, and which to me is more of an implication of guilt because a jury didn't even get to look at what happened and determine. He just settled and threw a bunch of money at these women. So if that, that tells me this guy did something fucked up, I don't know. I don't know. Who am I? I'm just a schmuck. But it, to me, it's very weird that Casey, uh, you know, apparently did what he did and threw a bunch of money at the problem. And Holly was just like, okay, that's cool. We're going to celebrate you anyway. Meanwhile, Nate Parker, you know, was acquitted of all charges and, you know, he's on the blacklist. So, huh. Um... And by the way, just total kind of side note, while we're on the Affleck situation, did you guys see Ben at the Academy Awards? He looked he looked in a bad way. He looked all like puffy and he looked all gray and he looks like a guy who um, is just, I don't know, he's not doing, he looks like he's been partying a little too hard, if you know what I mean. Uh, he didn't. He didn't look all that well. He looked much older than he has looked and he had that he had that alcohol bloat i think you know if anyone out there knows an alcoholic you know they get that bloat where everything is just sort of puffy and and and, and shiny on them and he's got that look so i mr affleck i hope you're taking care of yourself man because uh you know we need you we need a great batman movie we need you to get your shit together and just 
aside from that, take care of yourself, man. Because uh, he, he just, he didn't look good. He did not physically look well. He just seemed out of it. Um, but okay, so we're going to move on from the Oscars, and we're going to dive into the week stories now. Uh, we're going to start things off at the box office. Uh, remember I told you guys last week, Get Out was going to overperform, and damn, did it overperform. I told you it was strange that the studio lowered the projections to like, you know, Universal was thinking that it might get in the high teens. And then I said it was probably going to get like in the in the high to mid 20s. It actually ended up making thirty three point three million dollars. You hear that shit? A five million dollar movie made thirty three point three. I say if you round that up, thirty three point four million dollars in its opening weekend. That is unbelievable. Good for them. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't judge. But remember, guys, I told you it was going to overperform, and look how much it overperformed. Uh, also notable, it uh, it did finally get a bad review. Now it's only at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. But yeah, out of 143 total reviews, it has one bad review. And this person said, Get Out is an attenuated comedy sketch in which serious concerns are debased. And that's from Armand White of the National Review. He is the one person in the country, apparently, who didn't like Get Out. Then, what did I say? I said Lego Batman would come in second, and there it is, in second. And I gotta tell you, I'm actually pretty darn surprised that the Lego Batman is doing the way it is. Right now, it made $19.2 million dollars. And for that's for a um, for a domestic cum of 133 million bucks in its third week. And you know, what's interesting for me about that is that in its third week, um, in its third week, the Lego movie, you know, which is the one that this is a follow up to, the Lego movie had made in its third week, yeah, I want to just, before I say the figure, yeah, it made 183, so it made $50 million more at this point. And on top of that, Lego Movie itself cost $20 million fewer dollars to make. So I'm really starting to wonder now if, if pop culture, if mainstream audiences are starting to suffer from some form of Batman fatigue. Because, you know, the Lego Movie... You know, it didn't have like a big bankable star at its center. You know, Chris Pratt's character was an unknown character that they made up for the movie. And, you know, this one has Batman. You know, everyone loves Batman. Batman is the big fucking thing for these last 12 years or so. And all of a sudden you have a Lego movie with Batman at the center. And it's actually underperforming compared to what Lego movie did. Um... You know, I just, I, I find all that stuff very interesting, that it's lagging so far behind. Meanwhile, it's still got the good reviews. It, there's still really nothing working against it. The only big difference is this one puts Batman front and center. The other one had an unknown character front and center, and yet Batman is lagging behind. Um, you know, it, it, it had a 41% drop-off. Just very surprising to me. Um, then you got John Wick chapter two, holding up the third spot. Um, and you know, I actually saw that last night and just real quick, I got to tell you, I was pretty disappointed. What I loved about the first one 
was that it was, you know, it was simple. It was straightforward. It was a, it was a relatable character that had gone through some serious shit that you wanted to see him go on his, his vengeful quest and you were behind him and everything was very sort of, you know, uh, no frills, just stripped down to this, this, this man on a mission type of story. And it's a man who happened to go through some terrible shit in those first few minutes. So you were really behind him for the whole movie. And this one, it didn't have that. It didn't have the personal stakes. It was like, you know, not to spoil anything for you since the movie is, the movie is relatively new. I don't want to like reveal too much. But, you know, the, the, the reason for him coming out of retirement, quote unquote, for this one, aren't personal at all. He's just basically blackmailed into it. And for me, that takes a lot of the sting off. It takes a lot of the edge and a lot of the, uh, the excitement out of the proceedings. Because now he's not out there on a personal quest for vengeance. Now he's really just out there because he's sort of forced to. And in general, it got it just it got too big and too overblown. That whole the what was once that cool little you know underground shadow organization of assassins has become this thing now where like apparently every fucking person you see might be an assassin. Uh, in the last scene alone, you know, you're basically led to believe that like there are like three or four hundred assassins in Central Park, and you're like, really, this is this is getting very silly now. Um, so for me, I was just kind of let down. You know, yes, the action is masterfully shot and well staged and well choreographed, and Keanu Reeves still does his thing. But yeah, I was pretty let down by uh, by John Wick Chapter Two. Uh, I kind of wish they would have just left the first movie and let that be it. I have no interest now in Part Three, and that's sad. That's sad. They kind of they kind of took a great thing and they watered it down and now they're going to force a third one on us, which I'm sure we're going to get because it's making some money. But I'm just my my John Wick love is officially out. Uh, the Great Wall is in there with uh, nine million bucks at the four spot. Thirty four point eight mil total, uh, you know, uh, domestic cume. Movie's a big fucking flop. And then you got Fifty Shades Darker down there at 7.8 mil for this weekend for a, a domestic cum of $103.7 million. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about the box office this this week. I just, you know, get out overperformed. And Lego, by my standards, Lego Batman is kind of underperforming for what it should be. Um, now, yesterday I broke off a story over on the Splash Report which if you haven't read yet, I'm going to summarize for you. Uh, you basically, you know, we got the scoop that the, the, the main reason that Matt Reeves left, and I did touch on this last week, was that he wanted control. He didn't just want to come in and be a director for hire. And when he initially was speaking to Warner Brothers, they were trying to get him to basically take on the script and take on the production that Ben Affleck had bailed on and just said, can you just make this for us now? Because he doesn't want to anymore. And Reeves was like, no, I want creative control. I want to be able to build this thing. That's why I'm still telling you the one of the next announcements, announcements is going to be about a rewrite. But sort of what I went into a little greater detail on uh, in this report was also the fact that James Wan almost bolted the, the DCEU last year. Um, you know, that's not very much known by people. Uh, you know, th there was the report from Ber Birth Movies Death 
that he was feeling, you know, tremendous trepidation about continuing on as a DCEU director after he saw how Batman v Superman turned out and after he saw how Warner Brothers suddenly got very, very involved in the editing process of both that movie and Suicide Squad. And James Wan was basically like, listen, I'm not going to make this film if you guys are going to be like this. So you either give me the creative freedom to make Aquaman the way I see fit or I'm out of here. And Warner Brothers, since they were in a vulnerable spot, said, all right, you know what? Fine. You can make Aquaman the way you want. We will stay out of the way. And that's apparently that happened again with Reeves. Where, you know, they try to stick to their guns. They're trying to change how they do things over there. The culture at Warner Brothers. And Reeves just was not going for it. He's like, listen, I'm not going to sign on if you guys are going to be heavily meddling in this. And you're going to say I have to answer to Jeff Johns. And you're going to say that I'm basically working to, to you know provide some sort of product for you. I want to make the Batman film that I want to make. Um and so that story is, you know, it's currently, uh, it, it's making its rounds there on the web. Uh, thank you for, to Cinema Blend and Batman on Film for crediting me and for crediting Splash on the story. And, you know, go check that out if you haven't yet. And, um, you know, it's a pretty interesting story because when you think about it, you know, Warner Brothers has lost a bunch of directors. You know, people tend to forget because they don't think about the entire, you know, they don't look at the big picture. But that's Michelle McLaren, Seth Graham Smith, Rick Famuyiwa, Ben Affleck, almost James Wan, and almost Matt Reeves have all, at one point or another, either left or were about to leave the DCEU. For a franchise that's only been around for a couple of years, that's a pretty crappy track record. So something's going on over there. They're going to have to figure out how to get this right. I don't understand how you can have these guys basically working as independent filmmakers in terms of you know having creative control and still have somebody overseeing the overall DCEU and trying to create you know uh, the game plan, the, the map for where they're going here. So I don't know what this means for the Jeff John situation. I was very enthusiastic. I was very optimistic that he was going to be the one to help turn this whole thing around. But it looks more and more like he really has no power. You know, it really seems like at the end of the day, the studio just wants the directors to be happy. So they're willing to just give them whatever they want. And Jeff Johns and a cohesive vision be damned. So I'm very just, I, I, we're going to see how that goes. I have no idea. Um, now, there's also an interesting story moving over to uh, to the other side of the fence, the Marvel side of the fence, not Marvel Studios, rather, but Fox Marvel. Uh, there's this story going around now that Russell Crowe might be in contention to play Cable in Deadpool 2 and you know, presumably in X-Force. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't read too much into it, but here's the chronology of it. You know, Robert Liefeld, who I've spoken of before, who uh, you know, he's the co-creator of Deadpool and Last week, when speaking to him on the, on the Twitter, he um, you know he gave Joe Carnahan a rave a rave rave endorsement. He uh, he tweeted something to to Russell Crowe about how he should read for Cable for Deadpool two. And what was interesting there is Crowe actually responded, and it was kind of like a funny sort of snarky response. He's like, "I should read for it." kind of like, do you realize who I am? I don't have to audition. If I want to do it, I'll just do it. <laughs> um, 
So he tweeted that, and they had the, they had a little bit of a back and forth. And then the interesting thing is, it looks like somebody sent Crow like a photo manipulation, a Photoshop of himself as Cable. So then he himself tweeted it out, and he wrote, "Hmm, Robert Liefeld thoughts." And you know, people are wondering, you know, if this is going to mean anything. I don't think it's going to mean anything. I think he's just having some fun on social media. I don't think a guy like Russell Crowe has any intention of signing on for multiple, you know, X-Men movies. You know, he's you know, he's he's in a place in his career where he doesn't really have to do this stuff. And you know, yes, he was Jor-El in in uh, Man of Steel and he may pop up. I don't know if they're going to find a way to bring him back into that at all in the DCEU through a flashback or something. But I just can't see him signing on to do Deadpool 2 and X-Force and whatever, you know, you'd think that there would be other sequels where they're going to need Cable. Um, I don't see that happening. He's just having some fun. And I wouldn't read too much into the Russell Crowe as Cable uh, rumors because that's just him just, you know, having a good time with it. Um, now there's also the, the talk about Black Widow, uh, you know, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, everyone says that, you know, she deserves her own solo movie. And, you know, now there's some, there's an update on that front. She was asked on the red carpet by MTV news about what are the chances we're going to get the Black Widow movie and, and when, when is as soon as we're going to know. And all she said was, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the Infinity War, which is like the production is an infinity. And then I'll let you know afterwards. So, you know, it looks like right now Marvel is too focused on Infinity War and, you know, who can blame them, you know? Um, and after that is when we'll see if she can get a Black Widow movie. I would, I, I, I would say that beyond that, Beyond Marvel being too busy, I'm sure they're keeping a very watchful eye on how Ghost in the Shell does. Uh, we've already seen that she can carry a movie. She had that one, what was it, Lucy? Um, was it Lucy? <laughs> I don't know if that's a movie. Uh, the one where she uh, had all the, you know what I'm saying? Yes, it was Lucy. So she had Lucy, which did very well, and she was the, you know, the, the titular star of that. And... Uh, if, she, if Ghost in the Shell does really, really well, I have a feeling that the Black Widow movie is going to get made. Because uh, it keeps coming up. There seems to be an appetite for it. It doesn't look like it would cost a lot because she's not a character that has superpowers and she doesn't have villains that would be superpowered. So you could really make like a low-budget Black Widow movie. And, uh, you know, and it could probably do very, very well. So... I I think that's really the you know the what we should all be keeping an eye on those of us who want a Black Widow movie we have to see how Ghost in the Shell does if it tanks I don't think we're getting one for a while if it does really well then I would expect some sort of announcement after Infinity War all right so that is your Black Widow update for the week then there is the fact that Gotham City Sirens may have a villain. David Ayer uh, tweeted out an image on his official Twitter account of Black Mask, Roman Sionis. And people think that that's going to be the villain for, for Gotham City Sirens. Uh, I brought it up recently in a, cast, in a fantasy casting with Scully Boy that I would love to see Sionis in a Batman movie. 
But if we get him in Gotham City Sirens, you know, I think that's a pretty good move. Um, you know, I like him because he's not some sort of megalomaniacal, super powerful villain that's going to, you know, overblow the entire film and turn it into some crazy, explosive, everyone's going to die finale type of movie. You know, he's someone who could be a thorn in the side and you could tell a nice little tight knit story. Um, so I think Black Mask is a good, good villain uh, for for the for these kinds of movies. So I'm kind of I, I hope that happens and I hope that they don't kill him off because I would love to see Roman Sionis Black Mask in a in a proper Batman movie. And uh, we'll see. I know that in the fantasy casting, we had said Matt Dillon would be a pretty good person to play Sionis. Uh, maybe you need a bigger star than that, you know, in hindsight. If he's going to be a primary villain, then you probably need someone bigger than Matt Dillon. Uh, so I'll give some thought as to who I would cast as Black Mask. But um, for now, it's just good to know that he's on David Ayer's radar and that Black Mask will finally, presumably, make it to the big screen. Um, now, something I've been wanting to talk about for a while is the fact that I think we're all going to be blown away by Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking of him in just like a mentor capacity. That he's going to be like the Yoda. And it's almost going to be like a glorified cameo. Kind of like what Harrison Ford's Han Solo was. Han, you know, Han Solo in uh, The Force Awakens. You know, it was great to see him. But, he, you know, there wasn't that much that was all that exciting about him in terms of his impact on the story, except for obviously at the very end when when the big death happened. Spoiler alert! But I have a feeling that Luke Skywalker is going to be a gigantic part of The Last Jedi. Because, and I, I, I've mentioned this elsewhere, and I'm going to come back to this one last time. You know, when Abrams originally turned down directing... Uh, a Star Wars movie, the way that they got him back on board was with just one question. You know, Kathleen Kennedy came to him and said, who is Luke Skywalker? And Abrams has said that the mystery of that, the, the ability to answer that question was what made him go against his initial decision to, to not take the film and come and try to shape a story where we could find out who Luke Skywalker is and what he's become in the years since. And, you know, obviously in episode seven, we barely, we didn't see him. We saw him just for those closing few seconds and he didn't even say a word. So that means that the real meat and potatoes of this whole, you know, who is Luke Skywalker and what has he been up to, we're going to find that out in this film. And just to sort of bolster the point that Luke is going to have a very huge part in this, J.J. Abrams was recently, you know, he was speaking to the uh, New York Daily News, or the New York Daily News reported the quote that uh, he thinks that Hamill should win like an Academy Award for what he's done in Episode 8. Um, he wrote, uh, Abrams said, uh, I think we are all going to be very upset if he does not win an Oscar and no one more upset than Mark. Um, it sounds like he just, you know, it sounds like we're going to, we're going to see Luke Skywalker in a way we never have before. I think it's going to go way beyond just some training sequences 
between him and Ray. And I think we're going to, you know, it, I, I'm excited that we've seen so little about the movie or from the movie as of yet, because it looks like they're keeping a lot of his involvement under wraps. And I really just think that Luke Skywalker is going to blow us all away. And Mark Hamill has got something really special for us in, in The Last Jedi. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I think they want us, you know, I, based on what's been released, I think they want us to think it's going to be, oh, just kind of like a cameo. He's going to be the Yoda. You know, maybe he may die somewhere in the middle and that'll help Rey move on, on, on her hero's quest. But I really think Luke is actually a huge, huge part of it. And, you know, it all comes back to that, that, that pivotal moment where Abrams decided to enlist in this new franchise just based on the idea of how exciting it would be to explore Luke Skywalker and where he, you know, who he is deep down and where, what he's become in the years since Return of the Jedi. And hearing this talk about him maybe winning an Oscar, you know, granted, I think that's a fucking long shot. But, you know, because Star Wars movies, these kinds of movies, unfortunately, don't get acknowledged. They don't get acknowledged. Um, but just, I, I think that says something. I think it says something. Um, something else that happened, the uh, Alien Covenant prologue was released. Uh, it's called Last Supper. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. If you haven't, you really should. It's a four minute and 45 second long clip. And it's totally worth it. Um, you know, I, I, I've always felt that every great horror movie, every great science fiction movie, it lives and dies with great, relatable human characters. You have to believe that these people are real. You have to like their chemistry with one another. You have to feel like you are, you know, like, like you'd like to be in the room with these people. Because then, as they start to die... Or as you know, as some of the more larger than life things start to happen on these like these sci-fi adventures, uh, you know, you're able to relate. You're able to put yourself in their shoes. And that clip, that prologue, man, you know, it's totally filled with great, likable, relatable human characters. Um, you know, they're basically having this sequence where they're about to go into a cryo sleep. As they go on their voyage into space on the on the Covenant ship, and uh, as soon as James Franco's character, who's I guess kind of like the Jesus of the bunch, goes to sleep, uh, they all go into like a little wild drinking party, and the whole thing wraps up with uh, one character giving a, an inspirational speech, thanking them for the sacrifice, and thanking the crew for their sacrifices they've made to make this voyage happen. And, you know, there is like this ominous looming threat. There's a bit of an underlying tension in it all that I think is great. Um, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. You know, there's this moment there where one of the characters, um, you know, is choking on something. And Michael Fassbender's character, you know, the, the android, the cyborg, whatever the hell he is, goes over and like hits her on the back to dislodge what went down her throat the wrong way. And, you know, there's just something creepy and off about him. And you just, you know, it, it's a great little scene. And if you're not excited about Alien Covenant, I heavily, heavily recommend that you check this out. Um, I actually need to go and rewatch those movies. You know, I it's been so damn long since I've seen either of the first couple of Alien movies that I, I, I 
kind of have made it like a, a mission of mine that I need to rewatch those before I go check out Covenant. Um, and that said, you guys let me know, should I bother with Prometheus? I skipped Prometheus because it just, it, everyone told me it was boring and I just, I was not too into it. So let me know if I should make that part of my uh, of my viewing before I go see Alien Covenant. For right now, I'd love to just watch Alien 1 and 2, even though I know Covenant is a prequel to those. But I would like to just, just watch those two just to kind of see how, how seamlessly this, this flows into those two movies. Um, but let me know if Prometheus should be on my watch list. Speaking of watch list, Aaron Verola... Um, you know, long-time listener, reader, supporter. He told me he wants me to watch The Man from UNCLE in order for me to be able to make my own decision on whether or not Army Hammer deserves to be Batman, whether he deserves to play Dick Grayson and one day take on the cowl. Um, and I didn't get to see it. I'm sorry, Mr. Verola. Uh, that movie was on HBO Go for ages. And people were telling me to check it out because they say that Hammer and Cavill are great together. But unfortunately, when I went to go check it this weekend, it's been taken off HBO Go. So I can't watch it. As it stands, the only Hammer work I've seen is in The Social Network. Um, I think that might be it. Jesus, I've seen little clips here and there of him and other things. But I've only ever watched him. It, in, I'm all stuffed up. I've only ever watched him in one movie, and it was The Social Network. Um, that said, I saw the trailer a second time for Free Fire yesterday when I was at the theater for John Wick 2, and Free Fire looks fucking hilarious. It looks awesome. Do you guys know about that? Free Fire is the movie with Army Hammer, uh, Brie Larson, Charlotte Copley. Um, it's like a shoot 'em up pulpy 70s like dark comedy it looks like and i can't wait to see that uh it goes into wide release on april 21st if you guys haven't seen the trailer for that i heavily heavily recommend it and it looks like you know hammer since we're on the subject of him looks like he brings a lot of charm and a lot of interesting work to it uh shows he's more than just a pretty face you know, he kind of builds this interesting character um, kind of just like a fun, boisterous role, it looks like. And uh, that might be a good gauge for whether or not he's got the goods to carry a franchise. So Free Fire uh, should be on people's radar if it's not yet. Check out the Red Band trailer if you get the chance. And while we're talking about trailers, the film that I'm seeing tomorrow, the, the, the subject of my next video review, also, you know, uh, Kong Skull Island, it, uh, it just released its final trailer a couple days ago. Uh, it's called Rise of the King. And man, that movie looks really good. It looks like it's everything that Godzilla wasn't. You know, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, I'll, you know, it got a lot of praise when it came out. Uh, it didn't do it for me. I, you know, I just, I'll go into this. Actually, I plan on doing a little mini review of Godzilla in my Kong Skull Island review. So I'll touch on it there really. But just suffice it to say that Godzilla for me was nothing special. And this Kong Skull Island looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Like it's going to have a great sense of adventure. Like the monsters are going to be front and center. And the characters around them are going to be likable and funny. And, and I just, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. If you haven't seen the trailer, I, I recommend that you do. And ah, there's my son playing with a very loud toy. Sebastian! I need some quiet, my son. Thank you. What a good boy. He's a very good boy. Kid's only two and a half years old, and he's very understanding that his father has the podcast today, that I've got people out there that are listening to me that want to hear my thoughts on some of this shit. Um, and by the way, speaking of you guys, uh, I, 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 a few of you reached out to me, uh, I guess based on my comments from last week about how uh, the podcast and the El Fanboy website are going to, you know, it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost some money to do this right. And a few of you actually reached out about uh, a Patreon account that I should set one of those up so that those of you who want to contribute or donate to the cause can do so. And that really means a lot to me. Um, I hope I didn't come off as ungrateful uh, when I wrote back. I know it's like tone doesn't always come through that well via text, and especially in tweets where you only have 140 characters. I hope I wasn't ungrateful. Like Alex G, um, I when I said I want to go it alone, that wasn't like, well, screw off. I'm you know I I don't, I don't want your help. No, I I what I'm trying to tell you guys is. I feel weird. I feel weird asking you guys for money. And I, I would feel ethically icky asking you guys for money. But that said, I gave it some thought. I spoke to my father. I spoke to a few people about it. And what I've decided to do is I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to Patreon page, but I'm not going to solicit. That's kind of where I draw the line. If you want to go and, and pitch into the cause then fucking thank you. You can do that. But I'm not going to pester you guys to do so. I'm not going to expect you guys to do so. I consider anything that you guys donate to the Patreon page um, just a, a lovely bonus, and I'll be, I will greatly appreciate it. But I'm not going to be here every week saying, please visit the page, please donate, please click the link, please. Because I do this stuff because I love it. And it makes me happy to know that I'm making you guys happy. Um, you know, that, that, that's, remember, what I do all this for, this is all an extension of my desire to engage and entertain people. You know, that's something that I loved about the show I just did as well. Because the, the, there's a rush that I get when I have an audience in the palm of my hands. When I get them to laugh, when I want them to laugh, when I get them to gasp, when I want them to gasp, when I get them to cry. Uh, granted, I hope I'm not making any of you guys cry. But in general, I love to entertain and I love to have an audience and take them on a little journey. So having you guys come read my stuff and respond the way you do and listen the way you do, uh, it really means the world to me. And you know, I, I do this for the rush of how you guys respond to things. I don't expect to get paid for this. But that said, I do have responsibilities. I've got kids. And 
I've got a wife who wants to go on vacations and the house I'm supposed to be saving up for. So I guess it, for those of you who, who want to help with the cause, uh, I will put on the website uh, later today on lfanboy.com uh, a link to the Patreon page for those of you who would like to donate to the cause, okay? Um, I also want to take a special moment here to acknowledge those of you who've written reviews on the other podcasts. I used to read them out loud. On this one, I've been hesitant to do so um, because the reviews are so, they're so nice. They're so fucking, I, like, it almost feels like I paid you guys to do this. But you know what? I do want to acknowledge everyone who's taken the time. And I want anyone else out there who's listening, if you could please take the time to go to iTunes and rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. That would really be amazing because it seems to be gaining some momentum. And if I could turn this into something special, then, you know, that would be amazing. But anyway, here are the reviews that I've gotten so far. I've gotten five for for any of you uh, who are curious out there. Um... So uh, first of all, I've got nothing but five-star reviews so far. So the podcast has all five stars. That's beautiful. So there's one here that starts with, it says, Numero Uno. And this is from Punito 2K3. He wrote, the man, the myth, the legend, MFR, has brought a grade A podcast home for all fanboys around the world. From the latest in entertainment news to heartfelt rants about fanboy developments, MFR delivers one of the best podcasts on the web and beyond. The guy is the real deal and one you can't miss. Thank you, Punito uh, 2K3. That's, uh, <laughs> that's great to hear. Um, Trending Danny wrote, same fanboy opinions, just different channel. And by the way, his review is so short and it's fucking beautiful. All it says is, Mario is a G. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Uh, I guess I'm a G. My, my, my wife read that and she got a kick out of that. She's like, oh, really? You're a G. I'm like, I, apparently. Um, then there's Gustavo, mi amigo. Tavo, PR, one, two, three. Uh, he wrote, still the best. Uh, he wrote, I have been listening to MFR for a while now, and I can honestly say that the best decision he ever made was to go solo. Before, he was a person who was great to listen to, but felt like he was holding back. But now, being on his own, MFR has shown that he can be a no-nonsense person, but with a lot of heart pun intended. If you want to support a Latino with real fanboy status, look no further than MFR and his podcast. Mario, sigue pa'lante que te vamos a apoyar en lo que sea. Which, uh, for those of you who don't speak Spanish, means, you know, keep moving forward. We will support you in anything you do. And man, when I read that one, I was like, Jesus Christ, thank you so much. Um, so thank you, Tao. Then there's Teller919, who wrote, In Mario We Trust. I have been a big fan and huge supporter of Mario Robles. He has written some of the most in-depth, knowledgeable, thought-provoking articles, articles I have ever come across. He understands movies like no critic to date and is a big fanboy just like all of us. And when he speaks, you hear his passion come through. His insight and understanding of the movie industry cannot be beat. And Mario tells it like it is. Thank you for El Fanboy, mi hermano latino. Damn, see, you guys, I'm getting all... I'm getting a little verklempt. But uh, the last one is Viva El Fanboy by Bochinche. 
who the hell is that? Bochinchi. Uh, they wrote, MFR is the man. I've been reading his work for years, and I'm happy to finally have a regular place to hear his unfiltered, passionate, and knowledgeable take on the movies. Every episode is a pure delight. Like, are you guys kidding me? I, I it, it sounds like I paid you guys to write this stuff. This is, this is beautiful. This is, I can't, you know, I thank you. I'm floored. I'm absolutely floored that you guys feel this way. Um, and this is why I've decided to keep the podcast going. And uh, speaking of keeping it going, let's do that. I just took a whole little uh, side co-tangent, side tangent detour. Let's get back to the news. Let's get back to what's going on out there. So uh, something that people have been curious about for a while is the fact that is, is whether or not Green Lantern or any iteration of the Green Lantern is going to pop up in Justice League. And now there's a new rumor, a new bochinche, a new scoop from our old friend Humberto El Maimbe Gonzalez, who uh, claims to have the scoop on the fact that, yes, there will be a Green Lantern in the Justice League movie, and we may know which one it is now. According to his, uh, you know, his reporting, his research, it looks like we are going to get to meet Abin Sur. Yes, Abin Sur, the one who eventually passes his ring on to Hal Jordan, the protector of the Earth, uh, who, you know, obviously, you know, the Green Lantern Corps member who is responsible for the Earth. So that doesn't surprise me. I knew that, that there had to be some sort of Green Lantern presence, and I kind of wonder if they're going to... It's just my speculation now, jumping off from El Maimbe's scoop. I wonder if they're going to do like a quick bullet point origin story for Hal Jordan in this movie. Because if you think about it, you don't really have to go into it that far. And on top of that, Warner Brothers probably doesn't want to necessarily retread all that because they did just make that failed Green Lantern movie in 2011. So gl kind of glossing over it could work in their benefit. And, may, and having it happen just sort of in the periphery of Justice League might be in the best interest of everyone involved. But what I'm saying is I wonder if, you know, during Justice League, when, uh, when all the terrible shit starts to happen, uh, Abin Sur eventually becomes part of the battle, and he's eventually wounded and or killed. And as he's wounded, he meets Hal Jordan and passes on the ring. And that sort of scene is sort of left alone to set up either Green Lantern Corps or to have Green, you know, uh, Hal Jordan's Green Lantern factor into Justice League 2. Uh, right now, with the timeline of things, I don't know what's supposed to happen. Because originally, Justice League 2 was supposed to come out before Green Lantern Corps, but now it's delayed. So I don't really know what's going on there. But yeah, I wonder if they're going to do something like that. Because it would be pretty simple. It would be pretty easy to do, wouldn't it? If at some point in whatever the big climactic battle is against, uh, you know, the... Who's the freaking... Uh, whatever, the freaking demigod that they're fighting in this one this shows you how like disconnected i am uh from the dceu at this point the, they have some sort of big villain steppenwolf steppenwolf there we go um if during the big battle with steppenwolf uh, abin sur gets critically wounded and just sort of in the background uh we see him pass on the ring to this young pilot who finds him uh i think i think that would be an interesting way to go I'd like to know what you guys think of that idea. 
Also, there's the fact that the Avatar sequels, which we've been hearing so much about for years and years and years now, it seems, are finally set to begin filming this year. Um, It looks like it, it is slated to begin filming on August 15th. James Cameron and company, James Cameron and Zoe Saldana, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang, Sam Worthington, they're going to start filming those sequels uh, starting August 15th. Um, You know, and I know everyone likes to shit on Avatar, but you know what? I I enjoyed that movie as a movie-going experience. I know that the story is nothing special. I know that the storytelling is somewhat, you know, predictable and and paint by numbers to a degree, but like I've always said, plot is overrated. Story, it really is. I know it sounds like a crazy thing to say or hear, but plot is overrated and I'm proven right time and time again and folks just don't realize it. You know, when you love a movie like Deadpool, you're proving that plot doesn't matter. When you love a movie like the first John Wick, you are proving that plot doesn't matter. Because both of those have utterly conventional plot lines. Stories that we've seen a million times dressed up in a million different ways, and yet, through the execution of those stories, you end up loving the films. So I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I'll say it one final time, plot is overrated, Yes, Avatar's plot and story, you could, you know, it was probably cribbed from several other classic tropes. But for me, the overall experience of sitting there, the visuals, the characters, the way, you know, the way it all unfolded under Cameron's watchful eye, I thought it was a very, very uh, entertaining cinematic experience. And that's all I really want when I go to the movies. I want to be taken away somewhere, as I've mentioned before. And Avatar definitely took me somewhere, and I'm looking forward to revisiting that somewhere when the Avatar movies begin unspooling all of their sequels. Um, So I'm I'm glad that they're finally going to enter production. Moving back over to the X-Men side of things, uh, we got some confirmation that Mr. Sinister will be a part of the XCU sooner or later. Um... And I I guess indirectly, this is a spoiler, but not really. This is just kind of letting you all know that while you thought that Mr. Sinister was going to pop up in Logan, I'm letting you know he does not. So I don't know if you want to consider that a spoiler or an anti-spoiler. I actually think it's important you guys know that heading into it. So you don't have some sort of expectation for something that's not coming. Um, So there is no Mr. Sinister in Logan, but Mr. Simon Kinberg was asked about uh, that character, and he said, and I quote, The short answer is yes, we'd love to see Sinister. I think he is one of the great untapped villains in the X-Men universe, and we do have plans to introduce him into the world. So that's pretty straightforward, black and white, 100% confirmation that there will be a Mr. Sinister shortly. And now here we go for one of these other spontaneous moments where Sebastian comes in asking me for something. Sebas, you want to say hi? Sebi, say hi. Ah, he's scared of the microphone. Sebi, can you say El Fanboy? Say again. El Fanboy. El Fanboy. He's just staring terrified at the microphone. Um... 
And I'm just opening up a thing for him, and then we're going to continue. There you go, Papa. Close the door, okay? He's two and a half, my little man. I'll see you in a bit. I'm almost done, all right? All right. So, we got... Uh, Yes, here we go. This is sort of a bookend to a story I brought up last week. Um, last week, the big rumor was we were finally going to get some awesome home release restorations of the original Star Wars trilogy. But as it turns out, now that's being debunked. Um, uh, a site called The Digital Bits reached out to their sources and they say that the restoration that's actually being worked on is a pristine 4K restoration of the special edition versions of the movie. Uh, but again, I don't know. Because is Digital Bits, who I've never heard of, by the way, is Digital Bits really more reliable than making Star Wars? Because uh, it was MakingStarWars.com that broke the story last week. Uh, so I don't know which one I trust more, but Making Star Wars is a pretty damn big site. And having the editor-in-chief come out and say that, uh, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm not trusting this debunking. But according to this latest debunking, uh, the restoration that we heard about is not for the untouched theatrical cuts, but rather the uh, George Lucas special editions of the original trilogy in 4K. Uh, so I'm sorry to anyone who got too excited. I would still say there's a chance that these people are wrong and that it's finally happening. I really don't know why it wouldn't happen. It really should happen. And it's funny, too, because I was just talking about, you know, a little earlier, talking about the feedback that I get from you guys. And as it turns out, in the middle of this podcast, in the middle of reading those reviews to you, I got a wonderful email uh, from a longtime supporter who I've you know I've never uh, spoken to him before. He's not he's not one of the usual Twitter regulars. I'm not sure if he had a handle on uh, on discuss when he would uh, comment on the articles. I'm not sure I'm not sure if I've ever actually interacted with this fellow. But I got an email from someone named Dax Flynn. Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it is a little long and I don't want to be too self-indulgent with all this stuff. But he said some really, really uh, wonderful stuff about uh, myself and the podcast and my work. And Dax, uh, I really appreciate the time you, you spent writing that. And trust me, uh, you know, the feeling is mutual of how I feel about you guys so that, you know, you guys are why I'm doing this. But, um, all right. So he asked a question in the email. And, uh, yes, it, it, it's related to Nightwing. He said, I wanted to get your opinion on if Dick Grayson does take over for Bruce Wayne as Batman. Do you think the audience will accept a Batman who is not Bruce Wayne? Uh, here's the thing. You know, it's funny because I, I floated out that theory, right? I floated out the theory that... They are going to introduce Dick Grayson in Nightwing so that they could set him up to take over as Batman uh, during the Batman. And, you know, I really do think that's the way they are going. And whether or not I think people can accept it, I think, honestly, I think that's why you need a great Nightwing movie. I think that's why they created the Nightwing movie. And for me, this entire little experiment is going to live or die 
on how well the Nightwing movie is made and how well it's received. Um, I think it's definitely uncharted territory. You know, we haven't had that sort of arc in any of these superhero movies as of yet, where we see the mantle passed down to another character. Um, that's totally new and, you know, for mainstream audiences. So it's going to, it's really going to come down to whether or not the Nightwing movie is awesome. And if the depiction of Dick Grayson is uh, as good as it could be, then, you know, I think audiences will buy it. Uh, you know, I think we're actually helped, ironically, we're helped by the Christopher Nolan trilogy, even though, you know, those aren't canon anymore. Uh, the fact that he made such a big deal about Batman being a symbol and even at the end there, Dark Knight Rises, you know, uh, Robin John Blake, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, he basically inherited the Batcave and we were led to believe that he was going to become Batman. You know, that created some of the groundwork. Granted, we never got to see the follow-up. We never actually got to see him don the suit. But in terms of, you know, that movie made over a billion bucks. So there's a lot of people who've already sort of accepted the fact or seen the fact or been made comfortable with the idea that Batman doesn't necessarily have to be Bruce Wayne. So that, you know, that helps in this situation, um, you know, undoubtedly. So in my mind, audiences will accept it, but Nightwing has to be phenomenal in order for them to accept it. And if they really are going this way, they would do well for themselves to really start foreshadowing this. I would even try to incorporate it into Justice League. You know, have just, you know, subtly, not overplay it, but subtly play up the fact that Bruce is is getting too old for this and that he's growing tired of all this. If as he's, you know, recruiting the team and getting together, you know, everyone who's going to fight Steppenwolf and fend off Darkseid's forces, if they sort of introduce the idea that he knows he's getting, you know, too old to to do this effectively... Um, and then you continue that idea in Nightwing where you, he realizes that, you know, the, the, the day is coming soon where he will have to stop, uh, you know, fighting crime. And then that makes the Batman where we see the climax, the end of that arc as Dick Grayson steps in. I think, I think that would be a great way to do it. So I kind of, I hope that there was enough foresight for them to begin foreshadowing this, this change. Uh, somewhere throughout, you know, in Justice League, so that it's not just like a random thing. Because I think that's the big problem. If they rush it, if they never make any mention of Bruce Wayne even considering retirement, uh, if they never make any mention that Batman is bigger than Bruce Wayne and that one day someone else will take on the mantle, then yes, it will be too jarring and people will reject it. But if they take their time and they build to it, through Justice League, through Nightwing, and then concluded in the Batman, I think people will accept it. I really do. Um, and that's sort of my my closing statement on whether or not uh, the Nightwing to Batman, you know, Dick Grayson to Batman transition will be accepted. And that sort of brings me to the end here. I'm going to present you all now with a question of the week. Um, my question of the week is, since this is the week that Logan finally arrives, this is the week 
that for a lot of us will finally get to say goodbye to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, since the you know it's it's well documented and well understood that this is his his swan song, his retirement. Uh, my question of the week is: How should Fox handle Wolverine? Should they recast him and bring in introduce a new Logan in one of these upcoming X Men movies? Or should they do a thing like you know with like time travel and try to get X twenty three back into the proper X Men timeline? Right now, the the main franchise is about to enter the nineties. Uh, you know, and X twenty three is you know in the in the Logan movie, X twenty three is like ten years old in twenty twenty nine. So we're still a good what f- almost forty years from when. Uh, X-23 is even a kid. So, you know, in order to get her involved on the main crew as, like, the Wolverine stand-in, she would have to have some sort of uh, time travel element, wouldn't you think? So, yeah, that's really kind of it. You know, what what should Fox do about Wolverine? Do you think they should recast him? Do you think they should leave him alone? Do you think they should have X-23 come in and basically be the Wolverine-type character for the for the proper X-Men team that we're going to continue to meet here through these next few movies? That's, that's what I would like to know what you guys think. I won't answer. I will incorporate my answer when I'm reading out yours next week. Uh, when you answer that question, please tweet it with uh, hashtag LFanboy. Uh, you can also answer it uh, in long form, if you'd like, over at the LFanboy Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Mario F. Robles. Uh, or, you know, th- there's a link to that on the LFanboy.com website. You could always answer it there as well. Um, and that's really it. Just want you to know also, I'm working on some uh, interesting ideas to tweak the format. I may have certain themed episodes coming up. Uh, I've been speaking to my boy Jeremy Scully uh, about maybe bringing our antics over to the podcast. You guys have never heard he and I together. You've read our joint columns, our fantasy castings, but you've never actually heard good old Mario and Jeremy getting down. Uh, That sounds really awful. But you've never heard us uh, do our thing. Uh, our chemistry together. You know, we've been friends for a very long time, and he and I go off on these long rants together sometimes about movies. So I'm thinking of bringing him on every once in a while, specifically to just dissect the ever-loving shit about a specific movie. So there'll, there'll be themed episodes where it's like MFR and Scully tackle, fill in the blank, you know. Um, so that's something I'm planning on doing. I've uh, I'm also thinking about branching out every once in a while too and doing other themed episodes. Like I've got a friend of mine named Rob Marrera who's been one of my best friends for almost 20 years. I think you guys would love him. He and I are a lot alike and he's actually even more sort of animated and outlandish than I can be. And his forte, even though he's also an actor, uh, and he's actually a pretty damn uh, sizable voice actor these days. You might have heard his voice on certain commercials at this point. Uh, his forte is video games. He's a very passionate gamer, and I would love to bring him on maybe at some point soon to discuss uh, the current video gaming landscape, so we're kind of thinking about that and whether or not you guys would be interested in it. We shall see, 
But um, yeah, so I'm just kind of thinking of having certain special themed episodes just to sort of break things up. Uh, I'd like to know what you guys think of that. And that's really officially it. Uh, So thanks for everyone who's taken the time to listen. Be sure to like, subscribe, and review the El Fanboy podcast. And I've got a video coming up that you guys are going to be interested in over on the YouTube channel, as well as the Skull Island video review, which I'll be able to put up. uh, I think I have to wait a week because there is a review embargo, but I'm going to be working on that starting tomorrow because tomorrow is when I get to see a special advanced screening of the latest King Kong movie. All right, everyone. Thank you for everything. Adios. I'll see you next week.